from the heart of Dubai, where tomorrow is being built today to the world. Welcome to the CTO Show with Mehmet. Here, we redefine technology and reimagine possibilities. With Mehmet, delve into the riveting realms of AI, cybersecurity, and digital technology. Experience the thrilling highs and lows of startups. Immerse yourself in the spirit of entrepreneurship and witness the future of business innovation being written in real time. Now, without further ado, let's tune in and explore the future. Hello and welcome back to a new episode of the CTO Show with Mehmet. Today I'm very pleased joining me, Andrew Ryan. Andrew, thank you very much for making it on the show today, despite the time difference. So first of all, again, thank you for being here. The way I love to do it, I keep it to my guests to introduce themselves because I believe no one can introduce himself or herself better than themselves. So the floor is yours. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Andrew Ryan, uh, founder and CEO of uh, New Chip After Labs. Uh, been part of startups for the last decade. I've advised hundreds of companies. Um, yeah, uh, now I'm into AI and uh, everything going on in the world. So it's, everything's changing minute by minute, day by day. So uh, yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, uh, to your point, you know, whenever I have guests who yeah, spoke speak about AI, you know, I think I should release this as fast as possible because, you know, if, <laughs> if I keep the episode more than two weeks, it might be irrelevant at some point. But, you know, like, Andrew, really, you have a very, you know, rich career, I would say. Uh, but, you know, the question that came to my mind is why you choose to be in an area which is, can we call it close to fintech? Is it like kind of a fintech what you're doing now? Yeah. Um, well, my 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 uh, I built an app company to like uh, equity crowdfunding came out around 2016, and I built an app company around that uh, because there were just so many platforms launching. Everyone and their mother was launching a platform to raise, you know, help you raise money, and there were just too many of them. And so I built an aggregator app then to basically plug it into one place where you can go to find all the investments, you can compare where they're investing in this brewery or that app. And uh, yeah, I, I built that. Uh, we got to a couple hundred thousand users, uh, over a hundred million invested through the app. Um, so it was it was highly successful. Um, and the industry kind of hit a stalemate, right? It took us, you know, uh, like a decade just to get that passed, um, the laws for that. And then, um, you know, crypto kind of blew up and kind of entered our space. And then everything really slowed down. Uh, the regulators just said, hey, let's take a pause on this. Let's sit on it for 20 more years before we do anything else. And uh, and that's kind of <laughs> where it stayed. I mean, equity crowdfunding is still a great way to raise capital. And uh, but it's it's kind of stagnated in terms of uh, regulations. It, nothing really changed. Uh, the amounts went up like one hundred thousand dollars. You could go from raising one million to like one point two. But it's not really uh, not much different. So. Uh, built that app, sold that app to another company, and uh, and then moved into helping more companies and startups with uh, Astrolabs after that. So, yeah, that's yeah. It, it was relative to. I guess to answer the question, it was relative to fintech in that I started in fintech, and you know, when you're good at something, you tend to just do something similar in that space, um, and so. Yeah, indeed. Now speaking about this and uh, fundraising, Andrew. You know, uh, 
still we are reading the report from from last year and we've seen like it was kind of a dry year desert year you know all all the things and it's been a global thing actually so how how are your expectation for this year and usually you know i keep expectations and trends and uh, you know predictions till end of the episode but you know i wanted to start from 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 here because we just mentioned about fundraising so what are you seeing in this space and do we expect 2024 to be better than 2023 <laughs> no not at all um so crunchbase just released their report i mean i've been saying this since last year uh fundraising is down uh it's the worst it's been in five years um so it's we're back to like 2016 2017 levels and even then when you look at the aggregate data, the number of companies getting funded is is much less. Um, there's there's a lot more companies that you, they're buying for the same amount of capital. Um, I mean, there's whole swaths of like AI 1.0 that came out, right? And all of a sudden, ChatGPT and Perplex and a few others just threw all those, like all these companies got wasted. Like all that money just got thrown away because they got surpassed. Everybody was building something that now it's all open and now they're surpassed. Now there's a new wave of, of AI startups, right? And so the tech industry is just moving so fast now. Um, and you, if you can't iterate fast, it, you, you die. And so I think that um, capital still exists. And in 2024, you know, companies will still raise money, but the competition is harder than ever. It's, it, there's more competition than you've ever seen. Um, the economy is a dire place. Uh, I don't care what your politics are. I think that uh, the world economy is just not, uh, it's going to take a while to recover. We're in a recovery phase. Uh, at least for the next three or four years. Uh, I mean, tech is going to be in a, in a, you know, it's it, it's just going to it's going to take time. Um, and so I, I predict next year uh, fundraising to be about stagnant to what it was in Q4. And so at about um, it was 50 percent down last year. I, I imagine it'll probably be about another 20 percent down this next year. So. So so Andrew, what are founders doing these days instead because are they bootstrapping are they you know going to crowdfunding or are they yeah. coming to, to people like yourself like angel investors what's going in this space um well so i think what's happened is it's just a reset i mean you see resets every, every 10 15 years in general um i mean the tech industry is, is pretty new vc still pretty new um and so when you look at it like that um, we're just going back to where we were before everyone and their mother had a VC fund. Uh, I mean, there's just, we hit peak VC. <laughs> there were so many VC funds and everyone was in it and there were so many LPs and now we're back to where we were in the early 2000s, uh, post tech bubble. And I think that, you know, nobody wants to admit it lively that this is just, it was another bubble. I mean, there's a lot of people that are on the, uh, the, the public stock sphere, but not on the, the private sphere. And, you know, I, I think that uh, people are going to equity crowdfunding. That's a big one, but the, the, the valuations are too high. I mean, I was talking to an equity crowdfunding company just the other day and they, you know, hit me up and they're like, uh, we want to do a 140 million valuation, 140 million. I was like, y'all have, you know, $20,000 in revenue. <laughs> uh, you can't do it. <laughs> right? Like it doesn't, it, it doesn't even, it doesn't even hit their mind. Right. Like I'm, I'm happy to help you, but uh, you know, and every, they always look to another company that raised at a higher valuation, but they don't know that company has three million in revenue, right? They, they just don't they don't correlate these items. And when you go to the crowd with that, the crowd's smart. Uh, there, there's there's leaders in the crowd that there's, there's angel investors, there's VCs, and they will give you a, you know if you go out there looking for something that doesn't exist, like 140 million valuation with 20,000 revenue, you're just gonna get hit, right? And so you gotta you gotta have expectations right within the realm of of reality. 
Uh, you got to go in with fair valuations for everybody, right? Just because the crowd, the crowd doesn't want to pay more. They, they need to pay what everyone else is paying, right? The same valuations. Um, so VCs exist um, and they're doing, they're deploying capital. But I mean, you know, every, like all of you, we got to a point where your cousin was giving you crypto advice, your, your barista was giving you crypto advice and your barista also ran a venture fund. Like that's where we were peak tech. Um, they're just not there anymore. Um, and so a lot of those funds are closing down. Even big funds are closing down. And, um, you know, it's all like people have this idea that VCs hold on to the capital. They don't keep any money. Like they, they really, uh, the way VCs work is they have LPs, they call for capital calls. And so, that, you know, if, if the LPs don't give you the money, then you got to close down your fund. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, funds that aren't saying that right now because, they're, you know, their LPs are saying, hey, we don't want to give you any more money and uh, we're out, right? And even though it's not, a, not in their contract, what are you going to do? If you send them an email, they don't want to send you money. <laughs> you can't make investments. Um, and if you can't, you know, uh, feasibly get them the money return, because right now is actually a great time to invest. Um, it really is a good time to invest because you're going to get really cheap valuations. Um, so if you have capital and you, and you know, you got dry powder, as they say, people say VCs have dry powder. They don't have dry powder. Uh, they have to call and ask for dry powder, right? It's a very big difference. Angel investors have dry powder. They have real money they can invest. Um, and so angel investors are getting really good valuations again. It's why angel uh, investors always beat VCs. Angel investors on their record, right? They have a much better IRR than VCs, hands down, always. Always have, always will, because they get in early, they get in fair valuations, they get realistic valuations, and that gives them returns. Whereas VCs, it's kind of a, uh, you know, a measuring contest in some capacities of, oh, I got him here. Oh, let's get the valuation pushed up right. And they, it really became this... Um, unregulated mess, I think, uh, in terms of, you know, um, a lot of uh, peacocking and trying to express, oh, my company hit this valuation, I'm going this, and then it, they were using that to raise money uh, for the next fund, and it just didn't work. It led to the, the bubble. Yeah, actually, I was, uh, you know, also reading a book the other day about uh, VCs, and, and it seems like, you know, the thing that founders... I don't want to say mistakenly because I don't think they do mistakes very easy, but you know, they think that the only way for them to grow super fast is to go to AVC and, you know, um, follow what they see here and there. Oh, like we've got like series A, series B, D, E, whatever. And then, you know, things gonna go. The, just this morning before we I start the recording, I've seen, you know, an opposite thing where a company they returned the money to vcs and you know they they unfortunately they fired some of their staff and even the ceo has to step down and said you know what we're going to go back to do a you know the bootstrapping option and maybe you know seek for for angel investors if we need it down the road so i i i think um andrew what that, happened that pitch.com yes it was pitch.com yeah yeah correct so so you know, I, and this is like, it triggered something in my mind. And even, you know, myself, because part of the things I, I like to do in 2023 is to help connecting founders with investors. But, you know, I become skeptical, I would say, because you don't want to throw someone into the fire, <laughs> right? So, yeah. because, because, you know, and you can tell us about this experience, Andrew, also as well. Like, it's it's not like easy to be, controlled by someone all the time and you know like like what what are some of the things that they will lose from founders perspective 
when they get money from VCs. Because I think this is, people talk about all the good things, but few people talk about, you know, the, I'm not saying negative, but I would say the disadvantages. Yeah, um, and one thing to add that I didn't hit on was that, uh, you know, founders are moving to profitability. And so, you know, I was I was being really negative on the, on the, the, the bubble side, but really that puts people back where they need to be. I mean, something I've been teaching for years, I've been pushing for years is, you know, every founder I've ever talked to, I, I say, push for profitability, even if you're getting VCs, like be profitable, be a profitable business so you don't have to do things, right? Um, focus on revenue generation. Uh, the founder I was just talking to yesterday, um, he was he was like, well, shouldn't I put this money into raising money? I said, no, you're doing, you, you, you just broke even, put more money into driving more revenue. Because if you have more profit, then like, it's not like, you know, it's not gonna be a negative. It's, it's really highly positive. I mean, if you broke even last month, let, instead of putting $100,000 into this equity crowdfunding raise, let's put that money into more advertising, growth, and drive revenue to your business because that's what investors really want to see. Um, and then they kind of get lost in that. So, but to, to your point, um, uh, I think that, I think that founders, they just, you know, there's so many VCs that aren't honest and they, they kind of come in and they're just telling you, oh, I'll help with this, I'll help with that. And then one, either they don't help with anything. They kind of just give you the money and ghost. I've, I've had that experience myself. They're, they're too busy. They, they actually, sometimes VCs will invest in you because they don't want to add value because they're so busy and they kind of want to enjoy their life. And they're like, okay, this founder got, gets it. They're smart. They're really capable. And they just do that. Like I, VCs will say they don't do that, but they do that, right? They just, they, they give you the money and then they just go enjoy their time in the Cayman Islands, traveling, going to uh, crypto conferences and talking about their portfolio, right? Like that's, that's what a lot of, you know, uh, I call those showboaters. Um, and then two, there's the VCs that actually add value, but they only invest in a couple of companies a year because they can't add value to all of them, right? So you, it's a really small amount of companies they get to invest in. Um, and we, we, you know, accelerators used to be like that, but they, they all started start trying to compete with each other and the YC the same way around. So they, they got two, uh, and then because COVID happened, they got, you know, everybody moved remote. And so they really weren't adding as much value as they used to either. Um, and then three, there's the VCs that, you know, they're, they're younger VCs or maybe on their first fund or two, and then they, they act really irresponsible. And so when something happens, they, 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 they crush the founders, they fire the CEO. I mean, my last company uh, was torn apart because, you know, VC comes in and, you know, it, it's really my fault for like, is it, I actually, one of the founders that always retained all control. I, I managed to control whatever I could. I had voting power, right? And unless you give someone power, um, they really can't mess with things. And it's one of those situations where I gave a VC uh, power because, you know, I put them on the board, I started establishing a better board. And next thing you know, they they, they really tear the company apart. Um, they do everything they can to, you know, when they, because they see the market like we do. When they see a way to try to get themselves money back and uh, or make themselves money, they just become selfish. And that's just human nature in many ways, but it can really destroy a company when, you know, a VC on one hand says, oh, we trust you, we're going to work with you. And then when, you know, you're going through a troubling time, the economy's going down, you know, your companies are blowing up left and right. I mean, we saw that tenfold because we were an accelerator and the VC comes in and says, okay, well, I want to get my, you know, $100,000 back, $200,000 back. And so I'm going to burn this whole thing down to try to get my money back. And it really hurts a lot of people. And so you got to be careful, uh, especially with first time VCs, uh, because they will and they can cause a lot of mayhem, a lot of chaos. And um, I learned the hard way. I mean, I, I preach this, but, you know, I learned the hard way of, 
you know, keeping your investors separate from your team, don't let them interact with the team because guess what? That's how you're gonna end up with a coup. That's how you end up with all these situations where you know the grass is always greener on the other side. And um, if, if the team has that mentality, especially when you're going through this economy right now, where you know, it's, I don't know a CEO that hasn't done a layoff. Like layoffs are just happening. It's just a, the nature of the beast. When you're in the peak bubble and it pops, you're gonna have to do layoffs, and you lose a lot of trust from your people because. These, these young people today, you know, Gen Z, millennials, they haven't seen this before. They're, you know, uh, uh, Gen X, and boomers, they know all about it. They've seen the, the Great Recession and all these other things that they, they've just lived through it. But, uh, you know, these young people, they don't know. And so to them, the, 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 the olive branch that comes out, the, the, the person promising all these, you know, the things saying, oh, we won't do these things. Oh, no more layout. Like, you know, it, it just doesn't exist, but it's going to cause chaos and mayhem. We saw that with Sam Altman. Uh, poor Sam, you know, literally, you know, I didn't do anything. I mean, it's, it's really the fact he made a lot of people a lot of money. And uh, as far as I know, I mean, he didn't invent AGI. I mean, it just, you know, and people on the board got like a little twisted and they got afraid. And the next thing you know, instead of talking to him, they just ran him out of business. Right. And uh, he won in the end because he'd made enough people enough money and there was enough money uh, on the investment side they, they they couldn't lose it, right? Uh, and it was a great product. I mean, uh, we're seeing this with you know, Chat GPT. Um, there's that uh, what's it called? Mid Journey. Mid Journey. God, it's run on Discord. Uh, amazing product. Just uh, no funding needed at all. Just running off of revenue, right? I think we're in the age now where people can focus on revenue-based businesses. Um, I think that the VC era of Ubers and the unprofitable business models is over. Um, I think that we actually live in a world now where we can find out ways to make profitable business models. AI is helping us with that. Uh, whereas before, I mean, you know, we were just burning billions of dollars and we see all, we saw the results. Well, what happens when, when Uber runs out of VC funding, right? Okay. Well now Uber is 50 bucks to go a couple blocks. Um, it's 50 bucks to deliver a, a burrito that's four or $5, right? Like it's, it's unsustainable. I mean, nobody wants to pay that. Uh, people don't want to live for those wages. Um, and so it's just it's just falling apart, right? Uh, I don't know when the last time, I don't know if y'all you know, have Uber in Dubai, but in uh, in Texas, yeah, we in have. Austin, uh, it, you know, if you want to go uh, literally like a mile, it's 50 bucks, right? It doesn't make sense. Um, I'm in uh, Vietnam right now. And, you know, th their version of Uber is called Grab. And is, Grab is in Central Asia right now. And they're doing the same thing. They're just pumping money and the, the company is losing money left and right. It's not making anyone money, but they're having to pump money in just to get it to where they believe is a sustainable way. But eventually it's going to go to the same way. Like, you know, it just doesn't make sense. I, I'm paying $3 to go across the city, right? In a, in a nice car, right? It's not not sustainable. I did the same thing with Alibaba uh, and uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Didi, Kwaidu, when I was in China, it was like four bucks, right? The prices are going to have to go up, right? Just, it's not possible. Yeah, so uh, they are claiming they are kind of doing kind of uh, diversification, you know, so they are not relying on one business model only. So that's why you see, and by the way, to your point, Uber actually acquired the biggest uh, competition. It's called Kareem across the Middle East region. So that's actually they are owned by by Uber. And, you know, these guys, they became like a super app. They do everything, you know, like it's not only... Uh, taxis or uh, uh, you know car hailing. It's also like groceries, food delivery, fintech. So it's it's like the concept of super app. And I think yeah, like, uh, we. Uh, sorry, 
It's like WeChat in China. And exactly. It's like WeChat. And, and you know, like even uh, Twitter or X now, even Elon Musk, he's thinking about having, you know, this concept of the super app. And even he wants people to, to, to upload their videos, their podcasts, you know, everything to become, you know, on a single platform. Uh, because, and this is something I keep repeating, Andrew, it's, it's a very crowded market. And if you cannot do kind of value adding, you're going to, you're going to end up with a situation like this. Now, before I jump on these business models, one thing, because you mentioned that, I know you did it also as well. So you kept, you, you mentioned the accelerators a couple of times. Now, accelerators in the U.S. and in, in, in the West, usually, you know, they, they were very common. Why Combinator is one of the famous, of course. Starting, uh, I think, a couple of years back, we start to see these same concepts applied here in the region. But one thing that people, they don't find them fair is that, for example, I know for a fact, Y Combinator, I think they write a check of 100K, but they ask for 7 to 10% equity. And people yep. find this not fair. Now, Asking someone who did that, you know, from, from, from your perspective, like, is that accelerator model still valid in 2024 and beyond? Or also, like, it needs to, to have a reshuffle and revamp to, to make it more, uh, I would say, attractable for, for both the people who fund these accelerators and for the founders. Yeah, I, I think that it has to change. I mean, people will say that the what I, uh, you know, the, uh, the deals I gave were unfair, right? I'll say, why commentator? I, I think anyone that's been in the industry, like you know, you'll see like Sam Altman's and the successful CEOs, and you'll see people that have done this two or three times. They made a bunch of money, and they'll say, oh, accelerators aren't fair, and you know, this is you shouldn't do this, right? But you can only say that from a, a position of having used it, done it, and made <laughs> millions of dollars, um, and. I think that's just a, a founder issue. Founders are never like, I, I've never done this once or seen it once. Founders are rarely if ever grateful for, um, you know, it's just a personality difference for the investors that gave the money and for what it done. And and because I, I think founders believe that, you know, you got your equity and you got your percentage and then you, you kind of have to be on forever. I mean, some of the first companies I, I went through in our accelerator, um, you know, that they literally still call me to this day. And if I don't give them extra value and I don't give them like 10 hours of time, I mean, they're pissed and they're like, you know, they, they see it as almost like you're you're chained to them forever and they expect you to to really be a part of the mission. I think the idea is that if you're a shareholder uh, in some capacity that you are you, you have to be involved in the company. And I think that, you know, there's so many angels that just want to prefer to be passive investors and founders even preach be a passive investor. Right. And they try to make it sound better than it is. Uh, but, you know, when they really need you, they, they call you and they, they, they want that help and they expect you to be there. And accelerators just today, they, they, they've grown so big. Um, and if you run a small regional accelerator, you're going to do well. Um, if you have to expand out, you got to compete, you got to be an SF and you're, you're, you know, competing with a YC, it's, it's difficult. Because um, you really, the accelerator model is, is, not, is not for companies that, and CEOs that have been CEOs for a while. But the problem is the Twitter sphere is everybody, right? So everybody wants to weigh in and do stuff. Uh, accelerator is for you graduated from Caltech, you know, whatever, right? And uh, you're in, you know, a med tech company, and you're, we're focused on med tech, and we're going to help you, you know, build this med tech business, or we're going to help you build this, you know, comp sci, AI, right, whatever, like wherever your your industry and sector is, wherever you know your college, you, they're usually around a great college, and they they uh, recruit from there. But they're they're helping first time founders uh, because they're they're bringing the like for one as a mentor, we're helping you know those companies 
uh, helping the best mentors connect to the best companies because you know you're not going to be the creepy guy walking around on college campus trying to find you know new people, right? Like, and so I think that's a value prop still. But for for founders that have already built companies and and done this for years and they've been in the industry for years, I don't think YC is is is, is valuable. I don't think accelerator is valuable. I mean, we when we ran we. We, we really found from years of working with founders that there's always something that founders need to be well-rounded on. And there's always like some rough edges. So even founders that have, you know, built companies and, and raised capital multiple times over always have some weak area. We were able to usually pivot our program to help, you know, those founders, you know, get over that. But at the end of the day, you know, a founder will be happy, excited and love you for, you know, two months after graduation. And then eight months later, if you're still not adding value, um, then they're going to hate you. And that's just, that's every accelerator. That's every investor. I, I don't know how to change that, that dichotomy. Uh, Cause if you go to China, uh, you can buy many places in the world, people are always like really, there's a, there's a gratitude for their investors, especially because there's a lot less capital deployment in these areas uh, and availability compared to the U S and there's, there's this kind of egocentric uh, U S Western philosophy on it. I, I don't know what it is. The founders just, they want you to provide value forever. And, you know, as, as an accelerator, as a investor, VC, like if, if you invest in too many, you're not going to be able to do that. And so it really, it naturally kind of either constrains the, like the best investors have really constrained portfolios. They really are, are adding value to everybody they can, and they actually can't invest in more because they can't add value to more. Right. And uh, whereas the investors that are seen as the worst, even if they're deploying the most capital and they have some of the best returns, well, they're not as available um, and they, they can't be. And, um, you know, the people that are available are venture associates or analysts that have no experience in tech. They don't know what they're doing. They're giving terrible advice. Um, and so that's, you know, the industry really hit that peak last year where everyone had a venture fund. Everyone, their mother was in a, a venture fund and a venture associate, all this stuff. And everybody was preaching stuff because I think it happened because uh, post COVID, there were so many MBAs. I mean, I had Harvard, I had UT, uh, I had, you know, all these programs, Yale. Just email it. Just give it out MBAs. Oh, oh we'll waive the, the the GMATs, everything. Uh, you just pay the money. If you got the cash, we got the, the MBA. And so, I mean, many people in my industry and the tech side lost all respect for MBAs uh, for, from that period of time. So anyone that had an MBA during COVID and kind of beyond, the programs became just cash businesses and, you know, diploma mills. And sadly to say, you know, that's just what it was. I mean, I got the emails. I literally, you got the money and we got the MBA, right? Like, oh, you want executive MBA? Don't worry, just, just, just send us the money, right? And I think that, I'll, I mean, many people in high positions saw that, felt that, and we got those. And then all of a sudden, those became no value to us. And so that the market got, like, just became flooded with MBAs. So many MBAs, um, they were just pumping them out like candy during COVID. So then those MBAs, they couldn't get jobs on Wall Street. So they started, they, they went into tech, right? They started accelerators. They, they went and worked everywhere they could. Now they're all tech gurus. And now they all, you know, are experts selling their courses, right? They're all kind of doing their thing. And I just think that we're in, you know, we, we hit peak tech, peak MBA, right? And now it's time for a reset, right? I mean, people are getting tired of Harvard, getting tired of the Ivy Leagues, right? We, we really need to focus down on, you know, what made us uh, a great country, uh, what made the economy work. And we need to get back to the basics, right? Of profitability, um, quality, and, you know, not everyone can go to Harvard. Not everyone can be an MBA, right? Like it's, you know, I guess you'd say that capitalism, we hit peak capitalism in a way, I hate to say that, where, you know, everyone just became so profit oriented and so self-indulgent and making money that we stopped adding value 
to the system. And when you stop adding value to the system, inflation happens, the economy sinks, right? And, you know, we just have to have a mental reset of, of how do we add value? And yeah, I still don't think we're adding value. I think that AI is just has supplemented value in many ways. And, uh, you know, it's the enslavery <laughs> of AI and machines. And, you know, it's, uh, those are great podcasts I was listening to uh, last night. They were saying, you know, humans are the slaves in the Amazon warehouse working 16 hour days and AI is out making art. <laughs> uh, <laughs> AI is doing what we thought we'd be doing. We thought we would be the ones enslaving robots and putting them in the warehouses and making art. When in reality, AI is making better art than us. <laughs> that's, that's funny enough. And I'm not sure if you have seen this also, Andrew, because you mentioned about how many MBAs we start to see and people not related to tech who started to appear in the tech scene. Another thing that I noticed, and it's, it's, I don't know, lucky or unlucky for me. I think it's lucky because, you know, I, it allowed me to see things from different perspective. So because now the place where I am in, like, you know, the UAE, Saudi Arabia, like these countries are now emerging, I would say, uh, hubs for technologies, you know, and you know, a lot of startups trying to, to get up from here. So what started to happen, all of a sudden, we start to see these people that came out of nowhere and, you know, sorry if I'm saying this, I'm not saying you are nothing, but, and everyone started to give advices and, you know, became like, you know, the, the analysts and people who became, you know, and then they start to talk even, you know, what irritated me to your point, when, if, if they stay in the field that they came from and they put their two cents, let's say, around things, you know, all my respect, but all of a sudden you see people not related to tech and speaking about, ah, yeah, AI and we can do the LLM. Hey, 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 one second, you know, like, give me, give me a break. Like, from where do you get this? And what they started to do, they start to build these communities that they are claiming that, hey, we can connect VCs to founders. And then they started to do all these meetups and events and all this. And at the end of the day, it's like, uh, as like, one of my friends, if you would listen to this episode, he would, he would love this. It's a fugazi, you know, like, <laughs> like it's, it's nothing. It's just, you know, you know, we got these people who, who probably, as you said, during COVID, they had nothing to do. So they had to go study something and because they got the money and they don't add value. They just, what they do, they do shows, you know, they purely do shows and how much I see of these, the good news. It was peaked during 2023, the beginning two to three quarters. By the end of Q4, I start to see a decline of seeing these people because I figured out that, because again, the region is still small and, you know, people, they figured, so people figured out, okay, it, it was something not real, right? So it was like a bubble where people claiming they understand the whole, you know, startup thing. And I'm telling people, guys, like, it's not something you can grab it from one day. And this is why I want to ask you, Andrew, because you've done this a couple of times before. So when we talk about a startup and you said like it should have, you know, the profit generation and adding value, but to scale, you know, and having, you know, really significant revenue milestones, what do you think are the key factors that would contribute to, 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 to success? And this is what actually would allow even people to come to them and say, hey, we're interested in your startup. We want you to scale. Here's our money. So what do you think are these factors that they need to have? I mean, I think today people look for a, a real path and, and, and actually legitimate 
projections to getting to profitability and not just break even, but actually being a profitable business, right? And they want to see it faster than ever. They want to see it. I don't, I, I don't want to see 36 months to profitability. We want to see it. How can you use AI? How can you use this tech? What are you pitching me on? And how, how are you actually going to achieve that, right? And I, what have you done in the past projection-wise? And have you actually achieved those projections? Because I think uh, three things that we, 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 you know, we talked about just, just now, but we mentioned, um, you know, about the, the Fugazis, right? I think crypto created this kind of, a lot, crypto opened the gates for everyone to kind of come into tech and everybody to become an expert on something. I mean, crypto didn't really pan out. Those people needed jobs. And so they pivoted to something else. And it created this mentality in tech where everyone was chasing the coattails of the money. Like the money seemed to be over here. And so it's, let's go over here to these mountains. Let's, let's go to this. Let's go to that. Right. And like, you know, you added, you know, uh, uh, was it Bitcoin, iced tea and all these other things. Right. And when that didn't pan out, uh, the next thing was AI. And so, you know, there's so much uh, quality going into AI, but it's actually, it's, it's, it's a much higher uh, level of entry. I mean, there's, you know, you really have to know your game. And I started taking new coding classes to pick up some of the new the AI coding languages because, you know, it's just moving so fast, I can't keep up, right? And I have to become a better engineer. And it's just one of those things that if you're not that, you really can't pitch it. You can't sell it because crypto, I mean, people could bullshit all day long, right? You can't do that in AI, right? Uh, I will say that as, 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 as much as I spend maybe two hours a day on it, I still can't keep up. Like it is just moving so fast, right? Um, and that's just part of the, that's, that's the reality of, of, of how fast that the system can uh, improve and innovate now is they're just beating humans. Um, and so uh, that's number two. And number three, I, I was just going to say that I think that to get to your, your point on milestones, right? Um, one is this, this, this profitability side of everything there, but you you have to be able to to show that you can do something with the capital, and it you have to you know have this not I guess you say you can't have the expectation that you're going to live on venture capital forever. It's almost like it, like the the companies that VCs kind of shied away from uh, back you know, a couple of years back, where you know here's my one round, here's how much I need, this is where we're going to get to profitability, and this is you know we can survive this and we can weather the storm, right? It's you're really looking at it as like a singular investment versus I'm expected to raise four or five rounds, right? Um, you really have to be and and and, and raise capital every six to eight months. Um, and that's just not seen as acceptable anymore. I mean, and and investors were not looking for that. Um, I'm looking for the company that you know that that investors weren't looking for you know four or five years ago, which is okay, great. You have this path, you have this trajectory. Using all of this new technology today, you're able to get to this profitability faster and you can innovate faster and you know the money you might need would be to to outpace your competition not to um to keep you from going under right because like investors became this lifeline of just calling for money constantly to keep the business afloat uh, and make up for mistakes and i think that the the tolerance for that is not as high as it was and so the tolerance for new founders is not very high um so we're you know there's already there's a ton of CEOs that have started companies and have been successful and, and had failures. And we're, we're at peak CEO. There's just too many CEOs out there. And so, um, you know, I think that if you want to be a CEO today and you want to start a business, I think it's going to be very difficult. I think that it's it's just not going to be the same as it was. And I think that you're better off probably going and learning from a CEO. Email them and say, hey, I want to be your chief of staff. I want to be your assistant. I want to be something in your company and just work for them for, you know, a year or two years. We're back to the, like, when, when, you know, we're not the same age, but I'm, I, you know, I, I grew up as still as an older millennial 
where you have to work years in a role, right? When I was in the, in the military, you would spend years before you got promoted, right? Like that's just how it was. Um, there's this idea today with how fast startups are moving and the peak startup bubble, like people are like, if I don't get a promotion every three to six months, I'm a failure. <laughs> well, that's how people felt like if I'm not the yeah. senior VP product manager in Amazon of 300 product managers, right? We saw that just totally flop. Amazon let go of all the product managers. People were making, you know, 24 years old, $400,000. All of them got fired, right? Like it was just, it's, it's over. Um, and so, you know. Yeah. Now, uh, Andrew, like, I know that you had a, I would say, a story following the, you know, what happened last year with Silicon Valley Bank. So can, can you like just share with, with us, you know, how, you know, you, you converted this hostile situation, I would say, to an opportunity? Yeah, um, it's interesting. So right now we're, you know, um, our company, Silicon Valley Bank blew up. And, you know, we, I was calling for the, going back to 2022, 2021, I saw the market coming down. I saw issues coming into the market. And I really pushed to make cuts. But when you're, your revenue is going so high and everything is going so well, you're literally the, even if you have all the power in the world, it's an echo chamber because everyone around you saying it's, it's, it's only going to go up. It's only going to go up. Your investors are pushing for higher growth, more growth, more growth, take on more capital so you can grow more. Right. Um, and I honestly should have pushed back more. Uh, I really should have just made that stand. And then I should have hurt a lot of people's feelings by just saying, Hey, we're not going to grow more. And that's the thing that founders should be doing. Uh, get, you know, be willing to fight tooth and nail today because that market might not exist anymore. Your, your industry segment, you know, you might, you know, it, you, one, you might be outcompeted, which is a challenge. So I know that's a big fear in everyone's mind. But two, um, you know, when you, when you see your customers changing, when you see dynamics changing in the market, you might have to have more capital to figure things out. And you can't be just operating off of just pure profit either. So like raise, I know that's contrary to what I just said, but you have to be really cognizant of, of capital in the bank and how much you're raising and, and just spending all that money on growth uh, because growth is expensive to grow, you know, the, the average cost of a, of a salesperson uh, in all, all business have sales. It's just a fact, right? And so that, to, the average cost of a salesperson to train and build up is over a hundred thousand dollars and you're not making money off. They're an investment. It's anything with any employee, they're an investment. You're not making money off of them until like usually, you know, at least a year, I'd put it about 12 to 16 months is to get a real ROI out of any employee you hire. Right. And so, you know, this rapid scaling, rapid hire, rapid fire, you're actually just burning a ton of capital and a ton of time and a ton of, you know, your investment and that. And you can only do that with significant VC. And when that, when that closes up, you can't do it anymore. You got to really invest holistically. And so on our end, uh, we grew way too fast. Um, and by the time you, you get to a certain point where you can't even control growth anymore. And because layoffs become regulated, you can't just, you can't just fire everybody. You can't do that. You have to do 60 day notices. You got to do severance packages and all these regulations around it. That first time founders don't know, right? Hell, even I wasn't aware of all of the regulations, even new regulations came out during COVID. It just made it really difficult to, to scale a business down. And so by the time you're able to scale it down, you're looking at several months uh, versus just overnight done, you know, and if we'd done that, we would still be around in business. But um, the thing that, you know, became this, I, I think my big mistake was, you know, everyone was pushing back. I kept saying, you know, we, we tried to cut whatever we could. And so you end up with death by a thousand cuts where you're making cuts every couple of months. And then, you know, you're, 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 
your people, like we're supposed to be the highlight of the industry, right? Running an accelerator and everything else. And when you see that, you know, investors just stop taking calls from startup founders, right? And we saw that in a lot in the end of Q3, Q4, where a lot of VCs just kind of shut up shop. They, they're just saying, hey, we're not taking any investments right now, or we're only looking for this. Like everybody really tightened their, 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 uh, their buttocks <laughs> a lot. And um, so I think that, you know, what happened on our end, right, was, you know, investor comes in, people try to do stuff. And then, you know, you really don't see it coming until, until it's there. And then you really got to spend a lot of time winning back and, and, and rebuilding. And on our end, we had a massive portfolio of warrants, investments. And so now that's being sold through an investment bank, uh, Peak Tech. And so they're, you know, we're selling... <laughs> like a billion dollars worth of equities. Uh, it's not the best time to be selling right now, but either way, it's, 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 it, we're selling it. And uh, we only owe like 5 million bucks. Uh, but it's, so it's going to be a massive turnaround. You know, the investors get some money back, but the challenge is, and why it turned into a positive, weird moment for the employees and everyone else is investors were limited to one X liquidation. So they only get one X out of it. And the rest of it goes to the employees and stockholders, of which, you know, I'm 80%, um, my co-founders are, you know, the rest of the chunk out of that and the other employees. So it actually ends up, you know, in a place where, like I tell founders, it, based on your equity percentage, if you sell the company early on for 40 million, you're going to get a, you know, like 30 million bucks because you own most of the company. If you sell it for 150 million later, you're still going to get around the same amount of money, uh, usually because your dilution is so high. And so it's just, it's just really, it's, a, it's, it's more of a, you know, a medal on your chest for what you, you did and how much money you made your investors versus how much you made yourself. Um, and that's kind of where we are today is that, um, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to make my investors back money on it. But the people that ran the coup and the rest, they actually kind of screwed themselves out a little bit uh, because at the end of the day, uh, the shareholders uh, and the you know, employees up making as much money as they would have if we sold the company for a couple hundred million probably. Um, and versus, you know, some of the investors that screw the other investors over. Um, but like I said, it's, it's, it's never a major movement or anything like this. It's one of those challenges of usually a minority power. I mean, you saw the same advocate with one guy that just kind of flipped everybody and then everybody of course fixed it afterwards. Um, and so in the same on our end, there's a handful of employees and investor and like, you know, no matter how much protection you have in place, you really can't fix it. People try to move fast and, you know, to, to live in the environment of Silicon Valley bank just exploded. We're looking at other banks, maybe exploding startups are exploding, right? It was this massive, you know, oh shit moment where, you know, I've been preaching it for a while. Some people have been preaching it. And then all of a sudden it happens, right? It's like, um, it's like when, when Wall Street, I, I can't even imagine when Wall Street crashed, you know, in the Great Depression, but I, I got an ounce of that when that happened because we saw it in tech where VCs were just shutting up shop. They were just closing down for a month, two months. And then they're just, that's it, right? And then you saw the rest of 2023 where, you know, it just layoff after layoff after layoff, company bankruptcy after bankruptcy. I mean, it was about 600 companies went bankrupt uh, last year, uh, just massive. And, you know, companies even with a significant, uh, you know, nest eggs where they can last for, you know, a year, two years and actually write it out. They just said, hey, we're, we're going to close up and distribute the money because we can't compete anymore. Just, you know, we are like the only way we could have succeeded is if we raised, you know, this X amount of money. And this is a big thing I've seen is, you know, that they, they saw that the model just wasn't going to work. And so they said, hey, let's just close up shop. And so, you know, on our end, um, we would probably still have had the business if, 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 if I had pushed ahead of time and a founder really think about this, if, like, and pitch.com did, did the right thing. Like, if I'd done what pitch.com had done, which is, you know, literally cut down 90% of the employees in Q4 of 2022, 
versus trying to save everybody and you know try to balance it out and make all the numbers work. If I'd done that, plus I'm, I was tired. I, I'd been CEO for seven years through COVID, and being a CEO of CEOs is even harder, right? Where I'm literally having you know my my phone number is on blast for <laughs> helping CEOs to their problems. I mean, I had a, a heart attack a couple of years back because during COVID, for months. I was just helping companies stay in business. I mean, literally for about three months straight, I was nonstop on the phone 24 seven, helping companies do layoffs, all the hard stuff they didn't know how to do and how to like figure out how to finagle their, you know, push taxes off to, to keep enough capital to keep the lights on and make it through COVID. Uh, and then once the, you know, the, there was no one, there was a lot of uh, grifters trying to cheat people out of their money for the COVID relief fund, things like that, and just not helping. And so we were doing it all for free. I mean, just, literally on the phone with hundreds of companies just okay, doing whatever, right? And it, it took a toll on me, right? I, I, I had already been through a couple of years in the startup side. I put too much time in. I think that um, that's, I have to think that, you know, I, I hate to be that guy that preaches that because I'm usually the, the, the hustle king of just telling people hustle. But you really, I don't think it should be a pride thing anymore for founders to say, I don't pay myself anything. I don't take on capital and uh, I, I don't take care of my health. And I think there's been this massive swing the other way of founders that are going on wellness retreats every weekend, working 20 hour a week, four hour work week. That's all bullshit, right? Sorry, I didn't, I don't know if you can curse on your show, but that's, that's BS, right? Um, you still have to work very, very hard, but you know, you don't need to work 120 hours a week, right? That's just not possible and sustainable for years. Um, and so what you have to do is you have to, as a founder, think and, 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 and about yourself is if you can't if you can't put your oxygen mask on first, you can't save the person next to you. And ultimately, that's you know I would have had more energy. I mean, I I've had a sabbatical year this year, and so I would have had more energy if I if I'd done the right thing in terms of what was wrong for others, but it was right for me as a business leader was cut down two thirds, did, did what Pitch.com did, and you know everything there. Uh, we'd still be in business um, today, right? Uh, but it would have been the hard thing, and at the time. It wasn't as respected. Pitch.com, they got tons of accolades for doing it because you know they're like that they managed to get to this point to do it. But at the height of everything growing, when everyone was really attacking and, and, and going after anyone that said the economy was gonna go down, because everyone was so afraid, right? When there's this, this massive fear and panic around the economy going down, to be the one yelling fire, right? When there's a fire, people attack that person and they're kind of at, so you know, it might not even work then. Uh, I saw many founders and many CEOs who were saying, hey, this is Stuff's not going well and people just going, you know, you're full of it, right? Uh, I mean, my own team would tell me that, right? And so I think that, um, you know, it's it's important to look at today and and to learn from it, but also to know that the, the way things are going, just as a founder, you have to be critical of everything. You have to take care of yourself first. And we wouldn't have been in the scenario if I'd put myself first. If I'd paid myself first, I mean, you know, in the last two months I was paying, you know, all my savings going to pay employees, right? Uh, and the reality is business. And you know the loyalty you get from that is not very much because if someone else comes in with some money, well, you can lose everything you got. You can lose your, your scalp even, right? If you don't have the capital to cover your own cost, to cover your own legal. And you know, at the end of the day, everyone's gonna be like, and I'm not saying pay yourself half a million dollars, but don't do like I did where you pay yourself, you know, like 75K a year, bare living expenses in Austin, right? Or in the first couple of years, I didn't pay myself anything so I could pay my employees. And I think that's, you know, it wouldn't have been much more difficult at all to raise the extra money to pay myself more. I'm just, I'm an engineer. And so I, I put so much time into, okay, how can I take this dollar and make it into $10, right? And so I'd rather, you know, live on peanut butter and jelly 
and 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 you know and, and then to pay myself money then when i know i'm just gonna i'm not gonna live on peanut butter and jelly if i'm paying myself i'm gonna go eat sushi right uh, that's just my my fix is ice cream and sushi right so uh whereas you know you, you kind of have this hustle mentality of you got to live on the floor and do like that and elon preaches it now and everyone preaches it right but i just don't think that's as necessary anymore i mean it's necessary financially now because <laughs> you can't live that expensive life in this new economy and uh, with inflation but um, as a founder, you just have to take care of yourself um, physically, mentally, uh, financially. And I've just seen so many founders in this last year lose everything because they didn't do that and they couldn't fight the coup. I mean, Sam Elmo couldn't fight the coup. He's a billionaire, right? And so, uh, and everyone thinks they can do better than you. Every single person that works for you, every single investor, until you give them the reins. You give them the reins for three days and they say, oh, sh I can't do this. You know, this is not... I can't go raising money and I can't, I mean, I tried doing that when our stuff, blew, I said, great. You want, you've been a director here. You want to take over right for three days. No, they can't do it. Right. I, I don't have the capital to raise. Like I would just, you know, you close it down. Right. Of course you, you, you don't, you don't like, you don't know what it's like till you're in it. And until you're in it, you don't know you have to put your own things. Like everyone can judge you from afar. Right. But they can't sit in the seat um, and, and, and run a company and put, their own money in and pay the bills themselves, especially when you're a company doing, you know, uh, two million a month, right? And you have a, a you know, a million plus in uh, expenses. They can't cover that. Um, and nobody, everybody thinks they want to until they have the, the reality of it, right? They think the CEO just makes decisions. 90% of it saying no, as Bezos said, 90% no, right? Because uh, otherwise you would just go off the cliff. So, yeah, yeah, that's. No, 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 no. Uh, yeah. You know, you mentioned many things, but the one thing is about, you know, taking care of yourself. This is very important, underrated. Uh, and this is why I tell people, don't follow blindly what you see here and there. There's a lot of fake things that you, we see, especially, you know, in the age of social media, you know, about how you should be behaving, about work. I'm not saying you don't have to work hard. Of course you have to work hard, but you don't have to kill yourself, right? So so there's always a balance. Andrew, just as as we are always almost close to the end, you mentioned AI a couple of times. So tell me what are you currently doing and how AI is, is playing a role with, with your current uh, activities nowadays? So one, uh, I use AI in almost everything I do now, probably 80% of my, my daily workload. Uh, I'm picking up some AI languages uh, I, I'm I'm getting better coding again as a CEO, and so I've spent uh, this, this last you know almost a year now on sabbatical, living overseas, living on an island, kind of getting my health back, uh, figuring things out where I want to be, you know, and looking for my next big idea. And um, I've been looking in the, the AI sphere a lot, trying to figure out okay, where can I find the niche that I can that I can fit in, uh, and where I can as a, as an engineer add value, right? Because being just a CEO anymore isn't enough. You have to be a CEO that is also an engineer. Um, that's, you know, I've always looked up at Elon, that's what you have to do. And so, yeah, I've been improving my, my coding abilities to get, to get really well at it. Cause that's, that's where the competition is. Um, and so, yep, that's, I mean, I, I'm working on like two projects right now. They're still under, under development. Nothing, nothing to, to be crazy excited about. Uh, I mean, one I'm really excited about, but I, it's not released yet. And I hate to be that person that says that, but, um, and the other one is just getting into the AI side and figuring out you know, where I can go with it is my coding ability gets better than to the next year. But uh, I'm still enjoying my year off, uh, my sabbatical year. Um, you know, it's 
I'm, I'm waiting for investments to get sold so I can get my money out of it. <laughs> um, and then from there, uh, I plan to use my own money to start another AI tech company and using what I've learned this last year. I mean, and I will say it's, 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 it's difficult again because it's, uh, I don't know if I touch FinTech again. FinTech is just oversaturated and bloated, but you know, I, I'm excited for that new opportunity in the AI sphere um, to, to one, be an engineer leader, to, to, to learn and understand and hopefully get good enough that I can actually lead a team of engineers. Uh, that's, that's really important for me because, um, I mean, I hate to be that person that says that because it makes me sound like I'm not as technical. I'm a highly technical person, but it's just so complex. I mean, you know, and I'm excited because it's not the user interfaces that are complex. It's not the UI UX anymore. UI UX has become super easy. It's, it's really kind of basic. I mean, we're talking about Discord, Perplexity, HIV, like it's really simple now. Uh, there's nobody trying to make things beautiful to hide the bad features or the lack of tech anymore. It's really technical. And um, yeah, we're just back to that, whether you're building rockets or you're, you're engineering AI, it's, it's, it's an engineer's game. And I think that um, the users, the sales experience isn't what it used to be either. There's not as many people that are excited to do sales um, and jump on and buy stuff. They're actually buying products based on usage now, not just on, I think that's a really exciting thing that I guess to go into 2024 on is that, you know, DocuSign, um, what is it, Zapier, and many others are moving to this, um, you know, price per sale model versus making you sign up for contracts that go for years because they just can't compete. Um, it's just, you know, that was the model before, but I, I think the usage model is way better. I'm happy to pay more for usage than so I'm not locked into some massive contract because some new competitor is going to launch next month. <laughs> and and Absolutely. Absolutely, you know, and uh, you know, again, I saw it this morning with Zapier. They, 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 they changed something that I wrote to them long time back. You should change your pricing model, and I wish like more of these. I'm a little bit fan of no code tools as well, uh, so I hope that they follow because they don't. They, I don't want, as you said, I don't want to block myself. And you know, like in in SaaS, usually they put for you the the yearly price, usually like 20, 30 percent less than the monthly commitment. Uh, yeah, I don't want to be locked in. And this is why there is this huge debate now around like SaaS models. I'm not saying SaaS will go away. Of course not. It's like still a good model. Subscription is, is a valuable model because I can pause it, stop it, resume it the, the moment I want it. This is why it makes it very affordable, I would say. Not from money perspective, from, I would say, convenience perspective. So yeah. I'm with you on this point. Andrew, where we can follow all these uh, progresses down the road? So where, where we can find more about you? Uh, Twitter, uh, Andrew Ryan ATX on Twitter. Uh, I got a, uh, I never used Twitter till Elon bought it. Never, in years, <laughs> I mean, wouldn't touch it. Um, and now I'm on it and my followers have increased by 300 X in the last week. I've been engaging nice. with, and there's no other place you can literally engage with billionaires. I was just talking to Bill Ackman, uh, C.C. Lonsdale, like, just actively, and it's the best networking tool in the market right now. I mean, not to be a, a shill for Elon, right? Like, I really believe that Twitter is 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 the place. I mean, I you know, being living out on an island, just coding and and, and learning things and reflecting, like it's a little lonely, especially when you're living in Asia. I mean, it's beautiful. I mean, it's cheap, you know, everything. But it's lonely. And as soon as I, I Elon took over Twitter, game changing. I don't, I don't. I talk to people. I've made so many new friends, networking. I mean, literally connected people that are just. Yeah, I never would have talked to in the real world because they live in such different spheres. Um, and it's like Clubhouse again. Clubhouse, you know, early Clubhouse, not yeah. post Clubhouse. Um, and so I'm excited for that. I mean, I'm meeting people in the Middle East even, right? And 
that, that you know, I never would have like, met unless I traveled there, right? Um, and so it's nice. Yeah, and but I wish if if Elon do some something to remove this. He talks about the bots. I'm not talking about the bots. About these people that they keep putting these silly, you know, hookup tweets over there. Oh and yeah. <laughs> you, you almost know, every, every one of my uh, post, I get at least four or five likes from one of those. And yeah, the I, only the only guide you need to become I don't know what. Like, oh man, like it's 2024. That doesn't. I, I'm not sure if someone clicked that. <laughs> but you I don't know, think I, anyone I, does. Uh, but Elon, he's he's got a solution. He just he ran out of. There's a new. So he's 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 forcing users in those markets in the Philippines, the places where most of the bots exist. Um, that all accounts have to pay one dollar to tweet. So he's he's not going to move that to the U.S. To the U.S., it's you know doesn't exist there. But basically, if yeah. you're in these markets, and so he's testing it in the Philippines right now. I think it's Indonesia, the Philippines, where I mean it's just going to kill the bot accounts, right? Because they have to pay a dollar per month per bot account, have a credit card set up, and it's a unique name. It just kills the bots. It's a it's a great oh. idea. I mean, I want to take credit for it because I tweeted it at him, but I don't think he read. I think he just came up with it on his own. And, yeah, I'm uh, happy. I'm happy with even you know people they were against changing the name to from Twitter to X. I'm happy with the name. I have no problem. I can say my experience became much better. Like I was not active, but I was there. But my experience became much better since he took over. I need I need to give him the credit. Of course, I don't agree with everything he does. But yes, the plat the platform, especially when he introduced the subscription thing. Oh my God, my my timeline became much cleaner, I would say. So I see things which are like really relevant to me, except here and there, people who put ads, you know, but again, he, he introduced now the X Plus premium, um, which is, uh, I'm thinking about it, let's see. Anyway, I will make sure to put your handle. Oh, I, I think it's working. So. <laughs> yeah, so I'll make sure you to put your control over your timeline. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put your hand, uh, Twitter handle or X handle uh, in, in, in the show notes. Andrew, thank you very much for this very, very informative uh, you know, discussion today. I learned a lot and you will be following your journey. I wish you all the best. Thank you very much for your time. And this is how we end each episode. So for the audience, if you are first time passing by here, I hope you liked what you listened to or you watched. So please subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. If you are one of the loyal fans, thank you for being loyal and thank you for all your messages. Keep them coming up. And I promise you always trying to get the best discussions with the best people. So thank you for your loyalty and we'll meet again very soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hit that subscribe button. Share the show with your tech-savvy friends and fellow entrepreneurs. And leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Your support means the world to us.